Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today, we talk to the CEO of gene editing company Anari, all about innovation and the power of a simple seed to make big progress across big global problems. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. How do we solve the problem of the food system as fast as we can? The world has a number of big global challenges it's facing right now. War, climate change, political instability, and each one of those challenges is worsening an existing global food crisis. But what if I told you that something as simple as a seed could make a difference across all of that? In Davos this year, I talked to Ponzi Trevisvavet. She is the CEO of Inari. That is a seed design company that's using technologies like predictive design and multiplexed gene editing to ensure that seeds require less land, less water, and less fertilizer. Gene editing works with the seed's existing genetic makeup, so this is very different from gene modification, which adds DNA to a genome. More importantly, the potential for gene editing means that there's a potential to strengthen food security, to reduce waste, and also to conserve water, protect local economies, and also to prevent instability. Of course, Ponzi will talk to us a little bit about how she got into gene editing, what motivates her, and why it's so key that the innovation behind this work is driven by a range of voices and disciplines, people from biology and chemistry and physics. But most critically, she will talk to us about the potential that she sees for innovation and the agriculture space. She'll talk about all of that. But first, I'll have her take us back to basics and what one seed can do. Seed can impact a lot of things. And in fact, if you think about the food chain, the very beginning of the food chain is genetics, is seeds. So seed determines how much water that um, the crop needs, how much fertilizer, um, and then even the nutrient. What's the nutrient? Um, so think about it as everything that is for food start with the potential of the seeds. And the rest of the things is about protecting the potential. Let's talk a little bit about the food crisis. What are some of the vulnerabilities we have right now in the food system? And give us a sense of, of what's happening. The definition of food system crisis is one, there's a food security challenge. Yeah. Second is the resources that we use. And the third is the profitability of the farmers. So when we said crisis here, we shouldn't debate whether it's one or two or three. All these three things should coexist. And let me give you an example. We all know about the food scarcity, that population growth. Let me talk about the second one. When we talk about the sustainability here, 70% of the fresh water in the world actually go to agriculture and food. So that's the amount of the resources that are consuming. And majority of the nitrogen that got um, released into the atmosphere are actually coming from agriculture. So the question becomes as, how do we reduce the resources and at the same time increase the, the, the food production and at the same time still take care of the farmers who grow this, still make their livelihood be profitable, help with the rural community. And that's the definition of it. Um, and what is gene editing for those who aren't familiar? It's a new breeding technologies whereby you unlock 
the true natural genes within the crop genome itself. The reality is the genome of the plants are actually much more complex than us. So think about this, the genome of wheat, five times more complex than human genome. So therefore, if we want to solve the problem of the crops to take less water and less fertilizer, you actually have to deal with a lot of genes. And when gene editing comes in, then you have to work with multiple natural genes. Technology-wise, it's quite advanced um, in terms of what we could use. The disadvantage of it is actually there's still the understanding of what gene editing is. The regulator in certain countries are still actually looking at this um, technology. And how can Inari's work be scaled? What would it need? How we think about the scale is how do we solve the problem of the food system as fast as we can? We actually think about the scale through the go-to-market model. So we don't go directly to farmers as a growth company. Our customers are seed companies. So therefore, scaling to the expertise that they have already in marketing and sales and the direct channel that they have with the farmers so we can actually expand it really fast. So that's how we think about the scale of the whole system. If we were able to make certain changes with, with seeds, the ones that you think would really sort of help tackle the food crisis, but also help with sustainability and the climate crisis and protect water, what would the world look like in, say, 25 years? I would say the world uh, would look like as rather than agriculture contributing to 20% of the GHG today. I hope that 25 years from now, agriculture would contribute to 80% positive creation of the nature positive outcome. So from minus 20% to plus 80%. Are there um, certain seeds that would be key to sort of tinker with? So for us at Inari, we focus on the first wave in three crops, um, soybeans, corn, and wheat, which is pretty much 70% of the acres and pretty much majority of the challenge with the sustainability, whether it's GHG, whether it's nitrogen usage, whether it's water usage. So that's why we it's really critical to focus on those row crops to address the sustainability. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are right now leading a seed design company? Uh, tell me a little bit about that journey. The journey for me, um, I, I actually started off not as biologist. Um, in fact, for me, I started off as an electrical engineer, got a chance to actually get into explore other industries after that. And as soon as I got into the exploration of agriculture, which would have been, I want to say, 27 years ago, that's when I, I, I fall in love with it. And from there, worked for big app company. And then um, after that, um, fall in love with the technology even more and more. And that's when it started to come to Inari five years ago and have been leading Inari since. And what draws you to it? What's so compelling about agriculture and about the space? Yeah, for me personally, um, that drives me every day was actually when you look into the eyes of farmers and look into how much you can use technology to change their lives. And you can see it. You can see it within four months from the planting until harvesting. That personally happened to me back more than 10 years ago when I was able to actually bring the technology to a farmer in the middle of nowhere in, in, in Indonesia. And when you look into the eyes of their families that you cannot have an impact, you wouldn't do anything else. And I have pledged myself to be in agriculture since then. You're in the tech space and tech is uh, about big bets and uh, plans, but also sometimes, you know, we're hitting a wall. 
Can you tell me about a time that you hit a wall, you, you weren't sure for a moment how you were going to get through it, but you do. How did you get through that moment? It is okay to ask for help. Um, it is okay to ask the team that here's the, the, here's the roadblock. How do we solve it together? That's the team. Were there moments where, you know, maybe you were reluctant to go reach out to others uh, and you thought, you know what, I can solve it. I want to bother them. It's my responsibility. Any of those things. Is there a time where you're like, you know, uh, I'm, you were reluctant to go to others? There were times like that, especially in the beginning part of my five-year journey at Inari, like at the beginning, because you're not quite sure whether it is um, how people will look at this as I make my team losing the confidence if I ask the question to them. But um, of course, you learn it along the way. And once you do it at one time, and in fact, um, it turns out to be the other way around, it becomes a strength when you ask for help. How have you changed as a leader, maybe f even from the time that you started at Anari to now? I've changed a lot. It's um, I would say that it feels more than five years. And the biggest change is the learn how to learn more learn how to appreciate more, be optimistic, and at the same time, be curious and be pessimistic at the same time. So pessimistic and optimistic, it's not about being in the middle, but depending on the situation, how do you actually perform yourself, be visionary, but detail-oriented at the same time. So that change in terms of myself being in a growth company, being in an audacious goal company, so that has changed that. I used to be more sort of a leader in the middle. So find the middle ground um, and you be the average. I've changed a lot that is actually better to go into ability to go extreme in both sides. That's how you get into the new discovery. And, and what impact has that had? Coming back to the team appreciates a lot. They want direction sometime in detail, but sometimes they want full freedom. So you get to see this is a situational leadership. So the impact there is you get the team to actually see that and they themselves perform the same way. It's about situational leadership further down into the organization. There are a lot of cha challenges that are facing uh, the world. What do you think that resilient leaders uh, should be you know, prioritizing this year? The first one is yourself in terms of health. And the health here, I meant mental health, physical health. The resilience for me is, is actually not be resilient if you face the problems. It's the resilience that when you fall down, how long would it take you to get up? That is really critical. If it takes days, that's a wrong thing. How do you practice yourself to actually get up um, within minutes or hours? That's the piece that I, I would say that is really critical. How can leaders be kind of making sure that they're keeping the long term in mind despite all of these short term crises? I, I would suggest that I myself, I have one image in my mind all the time when I face the challenge in a short term situation. So you would go back to that image and that image is your purpose, is your vision. And I, I would suggest that a lot of time you use brain, but sometimes you have to go back to your heart to bring you back to the vision. You work in the innovation space. How do you create an environment where your team is, you know, both thinking big, but is also sort of grounded, uh, you know, say on things that, uh, that can be developed and that are, can, are executable? So we actually, in our values, innovation is part of those. And your question is, how do you actually make it ex 
executable for us. We even go into to the practical piece that we have the milestones there, whereby every time we hit the milestones together, we celebrate it together. It's even like a simple ringing the bell every time we hit that as the whole company. We don't don't go to the point whereby you have only the end game, but you have the milestones along the way. That's encourage people along the journey. Are there other practices that your company has like that that are sort of unique? So we we, we use all hands a lot. So we meet pretty often uh, for the whole company and actually update everyone on where we are as the whole company in terms of in terms of our milestones. And how does that help? People are on the same page and the collaboration becomes critical. For us we don't have the the silo at all between commercial and the research. So research, development, and commercial are actually in one in one goal. If you go back and how you work together, and that's that's quite nice. That at the end of the day, we go back to our vision, which is about renewed Earth, and the mission, which is about bring back the genetic diversity into the seeds. So it helps get people to have one common goal. The commercial and sort of the R and D side of it. Do they have just sort of other touch points, other sort of practical meetings as well uh, outside of the all hands? My CSO, chief scientific officer, and um, chief product officer, CPO, and then the head of commercial. In fact, they talk quite often. So uh, we call them triangle. The triangle there, and then actually, in fact, uh, we add another person as well recently, chief data and information officer. Four of them are actually meeting on a bi-weekly basis as formal. But informal, I'll give you an example. The chief product d- development and the head of commercial actually talk at the minimum every other day, which never happened in my previous career. Never. So you know exactly what the farmers, the growers, and the seed companies want. And that's the beauty of it. And what do you think the difference is? Why do you think that that's happening in your company where maybe it's not happening in other organizations? I think it's part of it is it's a younger company. It's a smaller company. And part of it is uh, is the, the audacious goal that we have together. And people that joined Inari have one simple, uh, one, one common thing that we are all the same, which is sharing the goal of how do we actually make the better world via food system? So once you have one common goal, I think it's just it just solves everything. There's an element that uh, from the way that your teams work together that if you took away that element, you guys wouldn't be as effective innovators. Collaboration. And do you think that your collaboration you get sort of that momentum because because you've got this mix of uh, disciplines and expertise, uh, diversity. Yeah. Um, and for us, diversity means diversity of thoughts. Um, I'll give you an example that in our scientist group within a scientist, and you would imagine that it's a seed design company, you would have thought that, okay, majority of them would come from agriculture. And the answer is no. Only one third come from the industry. One third are from academia. And then one third are actually from other industries, whether that would be pharmaceutical industry, whether they are actually some of them are expert in physics, which is, has nothing to do with biology. And some of them are actually chemists. So that's when you get into the new innovation, you get into the breakthrough. And interestingly, a lot of breakthrough came from the second and the third category. So that's how we think about diversity of thought. In terms of the product, commercial, we have different thinking that no, 
don't drop that product is actually highly valuable to the seed companies, for example. So out of our 270 people, we have 50-50 in terms of gender, male-female. We have um, 29 nationalities um, in terms of the whole companies. And the thinking in terms of the background, very varied in terms of background. Do you think that there's any particular trends, especially with tech and, you know, tech jobs that are going to be maybe shaping the area? What do you see, especially in the food space? If you ask about the trend of the technology itself, we're going to see a lot of AI. How do you how do you use AI in the world of agriculture more? And for us, we get into that already and we started quite a lot because genetics are complex. How do we use the data, the artificial intelligence to understand the complexity of the genomes? And you're going to see across the whole industry that how AI plays into the role of food system. And your last question, what is a piece of advice that you've always been grateful for? Paid forward. And, and how so? The, the reality of the life, I don't know how you feel about it or when you feel like you, you feel like your things are so f- fulfilling is actually when you help others that stays beyond just yourself. So it's personal motivation that you can make others to be better is actually last, long lasting than you're just helping yourself to become successful is about helping others to be successful. If you start to practice it, it's hard to explain, but it is something that stay with you. And I get motivated by that. I get energy by that. I would recommend that just do it. And it's fulfilling. That was Ponzi Travis Favet. Thanks so much to her. And thanks so much to you for listening. A transcript of this episode and my colleagues' episodes, Radio Davos and the Book Club podcast is available at wef.ch slash podcasts. This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me, with Juan Toran as studio engineer in Davos and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.